Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church sermon podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryville.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. I invite you to find your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 15. As you're turning there, I don't know if you've ever seen or heard about these honest but amazingly humorous product tips. See if you can identify these products that has these labels. The first label says, may cause drowsiness. The product is nitol sleeping pills. Yeah, I would sure hope it causes drowsiness, right? The next label, do not use while sleeping. Amazingly enough, this is a Vidal Sassoon hair dryer. Our next label says the vanishing fabric marker should not be used as a writing instrument for signing checks or any legal documents. That's the W.H. Collins vanishing fabric markers. Our next label says this, not intended for use as a dental drill. It's a Dremel multi-pro rotary tool. This product says moves when used. What do you think that would be? A Razor scooter moves when used. Really? How else would you use it, right? This one was on the product's website. It said, do not eat. It was the Apple's iPod shuffle. I got to tell you, if you're like me, you're probably wondering, what is it with these products? Are they really being honest with them? Or is it just some kind of lawsuit-induced deception that we're getting there? And I guess more importantly is, how does that relate to our lesson this morning? You see, we've been walking through the parable of the prodigal son, and we've seen this young man's aha story begin to unfold right before us. Remember, aha, it's a sudden understanding, it's a recognition, it's a resolution. Over the years, as I've talked to people about their point of aha in their life, as they've shared with me their aha stories, they've told about how and when God got their attention in their life. And as I've heard these stories, it's just reaffirmed the fact that aha happens when three elements come together. It doesn't matter how different the specifics are. It's when these three elements, when they come together, that aha happens. Remember what those three ingredients are? Those ingredients. Last week we talked about the first one. What was it? It was a sudden awakening. It's that point where we wake up from wherever we're at. We come to our senses about our situation And today we're talking about the second one. The second one this morning is brutal honesty. And next week we're going to cover immediate action, which is the third one. In previous weeks, remember, we talked about this younger son. He was leaving the father's house and he ended up in a distant country. He actually ended up in the pig pen. We saw last week his aha story begin to kind of take shape right in front of us as that first ingredient showed up. That was in Luke 15, 17. Remember where it said this, he said, he came to his senses, meaning that he had a sudden awakening in his life. But aha doesn't happen unless, like we said, all three of those ingredients are involved. So we got to keep on reading our story. We need to see the rest of the story and see this entire aha saga unfold before us. So please stand in honor of reading God's word. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. It says, but when he came to himself, he said... 
How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you for these truths that you've put before us. God, I pray that you will open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to hear so that we can understand what it is you're trying to teach us about the aha story that maybe you're trying to write inside of each and every one of us. God, let us hear from you today. Let us feel your presence. Let us understand where you're moving in our life and how we can be part of this great thing that you're doing within us. We love you, God, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's children said... Amen. You may be seated. Let me just begin by saying that in our story here, the son, remember, he had that sudden awakening, but then he doesn't just sit there. He doesn't soak in that feeling for a little while and then mope about the brokenness that he's living in, in that pig pen. The text says when he came to himself, he said, since no one else was there. Remember, nobody came and joined him in that pig pen Well, okay, except some pigs were probably there. I get that. So what we can probably say is whatever this young man is about to say, he's saying it to himself. He had to be honest with himself. Remember, he came to his senses. He had an awakening, but it didn't stop there for this young man. He had to honestly assess the situation that he was in. The son here, he gets brutally honest. And that's the next part of the aha story. It's becoming an aha story for this young man in his life. It's one thing to wake up to the fact that things have gone wrong in your life. It's one thing to wake up to the fact that change, change needs to happen. Almost anyone can do that. Almost anyone can wake up and say, I need to change something about my life today. But what we see here is a lot of aha stories. They begin. They begin. uh, We know that something has to change in our life, but they never finish because they stall out right here at this step called brutal honesty. A lot of stories start but never finish. When we get winded, simply walking up a flight of stairs, and you realize, I'm out of shape, but you won't step on that scale just to see how bad it is. It's when you realize that you really hardly know your wife and kids anymore, but you sweep it under the rug, saying, it's okay. It's all part of being the man, the provider in the family, and there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. It's when you get caught, but you lie to get yourself out of trouble. It's when you're broke and you're alone, but what happens is you blame everything and everyone else but not yourself. There are so many potential aha stories that stall out right here at a sudden awakening because brutal honesty is so difficult. So we understand what we need to do. We just won't take that honest step, that next step, and understand where we are so we can do something about it. No one ever said aha was easy. If we look closely, we see that there are three different things in this parable of the prodigal son that required brutal honesty. And whether or not this is one of God's great aha stories, it hinges on the presence of brutal honesty. So just what is it that we must be brutally honest about? First, we must be brutally honest about our circumstances. Look again at verse 17. He said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? Here we see the son, he is being honest with himself. First of all, he's being honest about his circumstances. This is directly related to the sudden awakening that he had last week, but it's now a step farther than that. He can't just realize that he's in a bad place. He has to be brutally honest about the fact that he's in a pig pen. And being in this pig pen, it's not a temporary situation. This isn't a work in progress. This isn't like he's out crashing over at a friend's house. It's a pig pen. 
And now he has to be brutally honest with the fact that it was his choice. It was his choice to leave the father's house. And that's what brought him right there. Understand, our lives, they are filled with these things called pivotal circumstances. These are circumstances that change us. Sometimes they wake us up. Sometimes they bring us down to our knees. And sometimes they're filled with joy. But all of them, all of them can be used by God to grow our faith. While God can, and while God does at times use good circumstances to grow us, it often seems like it's those difficult ones, those painful ones, that they are the most pivotal circumstances that God used to have the most impact on our lives. C.S. Lewis, he said it this way. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. The painful circumstances often give God the most opportunity to grow our faith because it's during the painful times in our life that we often look to God for help. You see, these pivotal circumstances, they can come when the doctor gives you a diagnosis of cancer. Or maybe it's your spouse who leaves you a note on the table and you get home after work and the note says, the marriage is over. Pivotal circumstances, they come down to maybe you're turned down for a job. Or maybe you're handed your pink slip, your two-week notice. It comes when accidents happen, when bankruptcies happen, when we or our children, when we finally hit rock bottom. We come face to face with some addiction in our life that we have been facing. Chances are, there's some of you here that you face some kind of addiction in this situation like this. Maybe you're walking through it right now. And the good news is that through this period of despair, through this period of desperation in your life, God is present. And God, he can actually grow your faith through this situation that you are in. That God uses our circumstances. That he uses our negative and our painful situations to grow our faith. It is made very clear to us in James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's be brutally honest here with each other right now. None of us, no one here, none of us, we don't rejoice when life hands us those difficult challenges in our life. Sometimes the joy only comes after, after it's all over, after we've been through the circumstance, after we've survived it. But even then, the joy itself is tempered. It's tempered by the pain of the loss that we experienced as we were going through. But James, he's making it very clear to us that God uses those negative circumstances in our lives. He uses them to grow us, to grow our faith. Trials produce perseverance. And perseverance is needed if we're going to mature, if we're going to grow in our faith. Paul says something very similar to this. He said it in Romans chapter 5. This is verses 3 through 5. He said, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We may not and, and very likely don't celebrate when problems, when they come into our lives, but we'll endure through them if we spend our time with God then our hope, it will not disappoint us. Our faith and trust in God, it will grow as God is beside us as we go through these life's challenges. While we shouldn't be asking God, we don't say, God, I want you to challenge me today. I want you to bring on some kind of pain. I want you to have some tragedy in my... We don't ask for trials in our life to help us grow. 
The Bible is pretty clear, though, that the trials are part of our lives. And God does always take them. He uses them in our life. He doesn't take them away. Instead, what he does is he uses them to grow our faith, to mature our trust, and to deepen our relationship with him. One of the most difficult questions for me to answer is that age-old question, why? Why? Why do bad things happen? Why do they happen to good, innocent people? Why does all this happen? If God really loves us, okay, then why do these things happen? I'm going to tell you. The brutally honest answer is this. I don't know. I truly don't. And the reality is that most of the time there is no good answer to it. I found myself in many situations where as all I've been able to say is, I don't know. I can't tell you why this has happened to you, but I do know this. God is with you. He's with you in that time. I realized from the beginning that at times there are simply no answers that we can give to life's pain, to the problems that we experience. But, friends, there is a truth that we can share. And that truth is this, that no matter what is happening in our lives, God is with us and God still loves us. What we learn from Jesus is if we'll trust him, God will use these pivotal, he will use these painful circumstances to grow our faith in him. So, as this relates to our prodigal journey that we're taking right now, we find ourselves in that distant country. We find ourselves in that proverbial pig pen of life. It tends to be much easier for others to see it well before we see it ourselves in our own life. But the same is true the opposite way, right? Meaning that it's pretty easy for us to see when someone else, someone else has wandered off right now and they're living a life in a pig pen in that distant country than it is for them to admit it to themselves. That's part of what makes this part of AHA, what makes it so difficult in our lives. In our minds, it hasn't been one giant step of rebellion that we take that sends us into that proverbial pig pen that has led us to where we are in our life. It's been really this slow process, this unfolding process that we go through during which we took these little small steps, small little steps here and there, which eventually led us to where we are right now. Often, when you're in the pig pen, you might regret being in that pig pen, but I'm going to tell you, there's so many times people don't regret the steps that got them there. That's why it's hard, hard for us to be brutally honest about the circumstances in our life, the circumstances that led to that experience in the pig pen. I've got to tell you, those experiences in the pig pen, many times they take us by surprise. But if you're brutally honest about your circumstances in that distant country, to do that, it means you must admit that you are, in fact, in a pig pen. You are in a pig pen that is dirty. You're in a place in your life that is very uncomfortable for you to be at. And understand, it's not at all what you thought it was going to be. Oh, it was a fun ride. I was enjoying my life. And now I'm in this pig pen. And it's not at all what you thought. And then realizing that, God, he can use that. He can use that experience in our life for our good to grow our faith. So first, we must be brutally honest about our circumstances. The second thing we must be brutally honest about is our responsibility. The next piece of brutal honesty, we see that in the text. Look at what the son says in verse 18. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Did you notice there? There was no blame setting in there at all. There was no trying to pass off responsibility to someone else for what had happened to him. There's no hiding. There's no lying. There's no denying what had gone on in this young man's life. Justice Lewis Brandes, he was a Supreme Court justice back from 1916 to 1939. He once said this. He said, responsibility is the great developer. 
It builds your character. It's what helps you grow. And Winston Churchill, he called it this. He, he called a responsibility the price of greatness. If we want to do something great with our lives, we have to become responsible people because we can't build any other values into our lives if we don't personally accept responsibility for our choices, for our character, and for the values that we live out each and every day. Friends, it's clearly obvious in recent years that there's a huge decline in the acceptance of personal responsibility in our society. Nobody wants to accept responsibility for anything anymore. In fact, all many want to do is what? They want to accuse and then they want to excuse. We, they want to accuse other people. Oh, it's their fault. It's your fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my teacher's fault. It's this person's that. It's somebody else's fault. And then we want to excuse ourselves. Well, it's not my fault. It's their fault, not my fault. What causes that? I see three foes to accepting personal responsibility. The first one is the rights mentality. I demand my rights. I have my rights, and that's all I really care about. I'm interested in my rights, and that's it. What rights do we have? We have criminal rights, computer rights, animal rights, children's rights, victims' rights, abortion rights, housing rights, privacy rights, homosexual rights, the right to own an AK-47, but, but hey, it's only for hunting purposes. Okay, yeah, right, whatever. The right to not be tested for AIDS and the right to not have to tell anybody if we have the disease, the right to smoke. And the right to not care if, if someone else doesn't want to smoke or suck down my secondhand smoke. Some criminals, i got to tell you, they even believe that they have the right for us, for the taxpayers to pay for their cable TV while incarcerated. Or, and this is even worse and it floors me, pay for a sex change operation for them while they're in prison. It happened and we funded it i got to tell you, the list, it could go on and on and on. One lawmaker suggested that along with our Bill of Rights that we have in our country, what we really need is a Bill of Responsibilities. Of course, we know we already have one. For God's people, for children of God, we already have a Bill of Responsibilities. It's called God's Word. It's the Bible. It is the responsibilities that we are called to live out each and every day. The second foe to responsibility is the victim mentality. But it's not my fault. None of my problems are my fault. In fact, they're all your fault. We blame. You know how to spell blame? You spell it be lame. Every time we blame somebody else for the unhappiness that we have in our life, we're being lame. What does that look like? Here's some examples. There was an FBI agent who embezzled $2,000 from the government, and then he lost it all in an afternoon of gambling in Atlantic City. He was fired, but he won reinstatement after the court ruled that his affinity for gambling with other people's money is a handicap. And thus, since it was a handicap, it was protected under federal law. It happened. A man fired for consistently showing up late at work, former school district employee, he sued his former employers. His lawyer argued that he's a victim of what we call chronic lateness syndrome. He won. In Framingham, Massachusetts, there was a young man, he stole a car from a parking garage. He was driving it around and he wrecked it and he killed himself. His family sued the proprietor of that parking lot for failing to take steps to prevent his son from stealing that car. It's not our fault that our son stole that car, it's your fault that you let it happen. The third foe is what I see as the entitlement mentality. I deserve it. The world owes me a decent living. Where does this kind of thinking originate? Our own federal government. 
They've been basically saying for many years now, don't worry about it. We'll take care of you. We'll take care of you from cradle to grave. We got you covered. And what this has created is a generation of people who say, I have the right not to work, so you should pay for me to have that right not to work. Think I'm exaggerating? Come spend a day with me down at the Salvation Army down in Coffeeville. We see it every single day. This mentality, it has been ingrained into their way of living, into their expectations that, well, someone else, they should be doing all the work, earning all the money, and then they should also take care of me, all of my needs on the back end, because I really don't want to do anything. Ephesians 5.15 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. It shouldn't surprise us to discover that God's word here, it instructs us on how we are to live our life. And let me tell you, if you haven't figured out, God's word doesn't line up with any of those three foes we just walked through. We're called to live responsibly in our life. Paul said this, he said what? He said, not as unwise or as fools as it says in some of your translations, but as wise. There are basically two ways that you can live your life. You can live it as wise, which means you live it responsibly, or you can live it as a fool, which means to live irresponsibly. And here's the catch. We get to make the choice. God gives us the opportunity of free will, and we make the choice how we want to live. And that's the choice that we make, and we live it out. Our behavior, understand, it is based upon the values that we choose for our lives. When we look at this young man in our story, when we look at the choices that he made, when we examine his life and his situation, we must do it with honesty. In this young man, there's only honesty in him at this point, brutal honesty. What did that son say? He said, I have sinned. When we find ourselves, when we see ourselves in the pig pen of life, in whatever situation we're in, and we get honest about the bleakness of the circumstances that we are in, the natural tendency for any of us to do, because again, we're human beings, is to do just what we talked about. We begin to shed the blame and push it off on somebody else. As I was studying for this, I read up about a card game called Mafia. I don't know if any of you have ever played this card game. I had never heard of it before until I saw it there. But in this game, there are several people who play the game. And each person is given a different card to play. And each playing card has a different identity for each player in the game. Those that get the card that designates them as a Mafia member, they have to try to secretly and silently kill off the rest of the players. After each round, there's a session that they go through of accusation and defense of themselves. No one knows at all who the mafia players are, but they try to guess. They try to accuse them. They try to bring their identity to light. The mafia, though, they have to do everything in their power. What they're trying to do is convince the other players that they're not the mafia. This whole game is based around this mafia. The whole mafia is based around passing the blame off for what the mafia has done. Passing that blame to the other players in the game. i got to tell you, there's some that I know that would be naturally good at playing that game mafia. At passing the blame. And church, that's a lot like what happens when we are in the pig pen of life. When we get caught in that pig pen, you see, our natural tendency is to find any reason for our circumstances besides ourselves. That's not my fault. My actions didn't cause it. Somebody else did it. Life gave me lemons and I couldn't make the lemonade. Let's see what it looks like. Let's watch our video clip. I'm going to have to find a way to support three kids. Tim, why? 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 For you. 
I'm going to prison because you had to have a new house. Tim, I never... Nothing was ever good enough for you, Emily. You always wanted more, bigger, fancier, and I'm the one that had to figure out how to pay for it. Well, I'm going to pay for it. I'm done. I want to go back to my cell. Start getting used to my new home. For you, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's parents, parents who are too controlling in your life. Or maybe it's a husband who is too absent. Could be a wife that is too picky. Could be your boss who is overly demanding and driven to success regardless of the cost. Maybe it's a coworker who wants, maybe, maybe that coworker needs someone to carry them, someone to support their schemes at work regardless of the price that it's going to cost. Maybe it's friends who won't accept the way that you are. Whatever it is for you, the truth about what has led you to this point in the pig pen is simply this, I have sinned. That's it period. If you can't, if you won't get to that kind of brutal honesty in your life, then aha will not happen. First, we must be brutally honest about our circumstances. Second, brutally honest about our responsibility. We'll close under number three. We must be brutally honest about our consequences. There's another element here of honesty in this son's statement to himself in verse 19. Let's look at it. It says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The son here, I got to tell you, he knows that he hasn't just hurt himself. He's also hurt his father and he's hurt his brother as well. Understand, our sin is never private. It's never personal. It always hurts more people than just you. And while God forgives the guilt of our sin and he, also the eternal punishment that we deserve for that sin... That doesn't mean that there are no consequences for the sin. This son knows that he will face, when he returns, if he returns, he will face a jealous and angry brother. He will face a, an offended and a wounded father. He knows he will probably face some bitter neighbors, neighbors that knew exactly what he had done. But when you've had that sudden awakening while you were in that distant country, you'd rather face those circumstances in life than the consequences that you are currently facing in that pig pen. Let me just close with this. Brutal honesty. It is the most difficult ingredient in the aha process. But understand, aha cannot happen unless honesty happens. I don't know what you need to be honest about today, but for most, it's probably time for you to look at yourself in the mirror. Look in that mirror and just be honest. Be brutally honest with yourself. It's not enough just to be awakened to the fact that, well, I'm living my life in a distant country. We have to be willing to own it. We have to be willing to be brutally honest about where we are, about what got us into that distant country, and about what's going to happen from here, from this point forward. What I'd like to do is this as we close. Is I want you to close your eyes. No sleeping though, okay? Just close your eyes and I want you to listen. I'm going to ask you several questions here. And as I ask them, what I want you to do is I want you to be honest. I want you to be brutally honest with your answers to these questions. Because I'm going to tell you, if you do, I believe that God, He will show you the places in your life where you have left the Father's house. And right now, you are wandering. You are living out in that distant country. Close your eyes, if you would, and see where you stand with these questions. Here we go. 
When was the last time you told your wife, your kids, your parents, if they're still alive, that you love them? When was the last time you thought about how someone else might feel because of your actions? How long has it been since you went above and beyond to show your spouse how much you care? When was the last time that you apologized first? How long has it been since you did something for someone anonymously? When was the last time you gave more than your tithe in a given month toward kingdom work? Or worse yet, how about this? When was the last time you tithed to the place that you want to call your church at all? In the past week, have you spent your money like Jesus would? Who is someone you know who needs help financially right now that you can help? When was the last time you spent more time with your kids than your coworkers? How long has it been since you gave up your Saturday to help someone move, to help someone, anyone in need, or, or just to help around the church? When was the last time you lost track of time serving someone else? How long has it been since you turned off your cell phone or your smartphone, if that's what you have, and you didn't care what time it was, and you just went on a date with your spouse? Can you remember who was that last person who really got your undivided attention? When was the last time you controlled your temper instead of losing it? Controlled your tongue instead of spreading garbage? Prayed for your church leaders instead of slandering or disparaging them? How long has it been since you were patient with that waiter or waitress at that busy restaurant? When was the last time people thought you looked more like Jesus than yourself when dealing with spiritual things, when handling church affairs, or in a stressful situation? You may open your eyes now. Now, let me ask you, how did you feel about those questions when they were asked? Or more importantly, did you find yourself in there anywhere? I encourage you this morning to pray for eyes to see, pray for ears to hear, pray for a heart to change. Brutal honesty is required, but can you do it? Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed and thanks again for listening to the Cherryville First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast and have a blessed day.